Here's some exciting news from our friends at NT Factor. You've heard me talk for years about the natural energy-producing benefits and anti-aging effects of NT Factor's line of nutritional supplements. Well, now those same benefits are available for your pets. Introducing NT Factor Pet Power. It's the first formula to restore the structure and function of cellular membranes in animals increasing vigor and vitality. By adding NT Factor Pet Power to their food, research has shown that energy loss and other age-related changes in animals were reduced and are delayed after only eight weeks of daily use. Now your pets can benefit from the same clinically proven formula I use and prescribe to my patients to repair damaged cells and improve your body's natural energy production. Clinical trials have shown that NT Factor reduces fatigue by almost half and it also reduces some of the side effects of aging. With a 45-day money-back guarantee of nothing to lose. You can get the NT Factor line of nutritional formulas, including the all-new Pet Power, by calling 800-982-9158, 800-982-9158, or go to ntfactor.com. That's ntfactor.com. Welcome to today's Intelligent Medicine Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ronald Hoffman, and today we're going to talk about resilient health. That's the title of a book by today's guest. She's Dr. Valencia Porter. The subtitle of the book is How to Thrive in Our Toxic World, and it talks about the process of detoxification, identifies some of the common threats to us in the environment, uh, but Bringing to this book an Ayurvedic perspective, uh, Dr. Porter uh, actually has collaborated with Dr. Deepak Chopra at the Chopra Center for Well-Being. Uh, she, in addition to being an MD, she's a master's in public health, and she's a leader in integrative environmental medicine. And just to give you a little background, I met her uh, for the first time uh, at a conference of the American College of Nutrition recently. And uh, the, the subject of the conference was uh, threats to our health, uh, threats to our diet, our water, our food, uh, the environmental toxins. And so it's apropos that we pick up that conversation with you today because that's what uh, this book is all about. It's a great introduction to the subject of uh, what's out there that may threaten our health and how you can avert it. Uh, so welcome. Uh, Valencia, it's a pleasure Thank having you on Intelligent Medicine. Thank you for joining us. Um, it, but first, you know, give us a little bit of a primer on uh, Ayurvedic medicine and, you know, how it is that, uh, you know, as a conventionally trained MD and then with uh, credentials as a you know, master of public health, you know, obviously uh, an advocate for community health, you got involved in Ayurveda. Yeah, so that all began because I was struggling with my own health challenge. Um, I had a chronic back issue that I struggled with through medical school, residency, post-residency, um, and conventional Western treatment was not doing the trick for me. I looked at many different alternative approaches, um, but I did have a, a structural issue, so I did end up having... Um, back surgery, but in my recovery, 
I remember I was so uh, zonked out on pain medications that I couldn't really do much um, other than listen to tapes. And I had these old tapes that I pulled out. They happened to be Deepak Chopra's tapes, and I started listening. And then once I recovered and was off of pain medication, I, I, I thought, I, I have to read this guy's books. And he had just, quite just a number. Just listening to his voice alone could have provided some uh, healing. He has a kind of yes. a very uh, yeah. calming, it hypnotic voice. Very soothing. Yeah. So I started reading his books and um, discovered that the Chopra Center was actually in my backyard. It was three miles down the road. I didn't even know it was there. And they had a program there called Creating Health. And I looked at it and it was, you know, really about fundamentals of health and uh, meditation and how to eat right and stress management. And as a practicing physician, I thought oh, well, I could probably use some of that. So I went and participated in the program. And um, it was taught at that time by none other than Deepak Chopra himself and the co-founder of the Chopra Center, Dr. David Simon. And I was totally unfamiliar with Ayurveda. But when I listened to what they had to say, how they explained that it not only helps to treat illness, but it really is a preventive system and a way of living that made sense. And part of that is going uh, and understanding yourself and your nature and how you react with nature. And so it was really through my own journey that I came to love this system. And then I thought, you know, this is really how we ought to be practicing medicine. You know, I didn't go into medicine to keep people on medications for a lifetime. And I really went into medicine so that I could help people feel better, help people prevent getting sick. And so that actually catapulted my career in a totally different direction. I started out as a child neurologist, um, and I ended up going back and focusing on preventive medicine and environmental medicine because I recognized that we need to really work on dealing with the underlying factors for a disease uh, to prevent, to treat, and, and to stay healthy and to be resilient. So I was really enthralled by this system of medicine that's been around for 5,000 years and has so much wisdom to it. And as a child neurologist, you know, certainly uh, you're confronted in practice uh, with many conditions that are actually very uh, intractable. Uh, childhood seizures, uh, childhood, uh, you know, child, these days uh, a lot of affluent parents are, are shopping child neurologists so that they can get their kids on ADD medication so they can do better in school and get into better colleges, maybe get a dispensation for uh, uh, disability so they can sit longer for an exam. Uh, that's the <laughs> the day-to-day -day reality for a lot of child neurologists. Rather than getting at the underlying problems, which, uh, you know, kids are so vulnerable to from our, our environment. Yeah, and I, I felt really ill-equipped other than to hand over a, a prescription. You know, I, it, it's, it was not embraced at the time to look at vitamins and nutrients and diet. Um, I'm not sure how much they have shifted uh, in that field, but at that time, you know, patients were coming to me asking about gluten-free diets and things like that, and I had nothing to offer them. So I saw them getting better. <laughs> when they did do that, uh, or improving, um, and I thought, you know, I gotta, I gotta look at this other 
pathway because what I was doing was not was not entirely helpful. Yeah. Yeah. And what's interesting about uh, Ayurveda, although I must confess uh, that among all the disciplines and sub-specialties within integrative medicine, I think I'm least familiar with Ayurvedic medicine. Uh, I studied traditional Chinese medicine, but I don't know much about Ayurveda. But it seems to me that it makes room for uh, individualization of uh, not just diet, but, uh, you know, the entire health paradigm is based on uh, the concept of individuality, the the doshas. Can you can you talk a little bit about that? It's vata, pitta, kapha, you know, and how uh, people are differentiated based on their constitutions. Yes, and that is some of the real beauty of Ayurveda. Um, as you mentioned, there are these doshas or mind-body constitutions um, that they described thousands of years ago, and they are they are patterns. And when people understand their doshas, we, um, I give a primer to people uh, to understand their own nature, their own makeup, um, then a lot of these things make sense and a lot of people's propensities towards feeling one way or behaving one way or, you know, sleep patterns, dietary patterns, how you hold weight, they all make sense. And then when people are better able to understand their own physiology, and this gives a really nice framework for that, then they have something that's actionable. You know, I think we know that, um, I think you know that not one diet fits all people. Um, and, and some of this helps people to understand, oh, okay, so that's why when I eat these foods, I don't feel so well. Or when I eat, uh, you know, these foods, I get, you know, sinus congestion and I start to gain weight, whereas this other person can eat that all day long and they have no problem. So uh, the doshas are really based on, you know, how we come into this world, and now we are able to link those to uh, genetics, to genomics. And um, there's an interesting field now called Iyer genomics, hmm, wow. which is yeah, which is correlating the doshas with these gene differences that people have, and they are finding that you know it's actually panning out. Um, so there are three basic types: vata. Pitta and Kapha, and each of those is characterized by different physiology, different kind of personality types, and different responses to things in our environment. Um, so it's it's really cool to see the the genes now to get some you know hard science behind the tradition that's been going on for millennia. Yeah, that's exciting because there's a marriage between uh, the, you know the ancient traditions uh, and uh, modern scientific validation. That's very cool. Uh, I'm not yeah. that familiar with Ayurvedic uh, remedies, uh, but a couple that I know of, I know about Trifala. Am I pronouncing it correctly? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, there's a couple pronoun- pronunciations: Trifala or Trifala. Uh, and and ashwagandha is very popular. That's one, you know, it's kind of like, uh, you know, country western music that uh, managed to, uh, you know, uh, hit the, the pop charts. Crossover. Crossover. <laughs> sure. It's a crossover for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Ashwagandha, I see now, uh, it's a wonderful adaptogenic herb. So those are uh, herbs and substances that help our body adapt 
and handle stress, our body and minds. And so I see ashwagandha in many, many stress formulas. If you go to any uh, natural food store and look at a stress formula, chances are there's some ashwagandha in it. Um, it does a number of things um, to help us support our stress. It calms us down. It can help with sleep without being sedating. It's useful for fatigue, and it's also anti-inflammatory. So I'm sure there's many, many people who can uh, who can benefit from. I, I personally take it. Yeah, you know, I take it on a daily basis. And then there's uh, trifala, which I think it, it has more to do with the gastrointestinal tract, does it not? Yeah, yeah. So trifala, um, tri is three, and phala is fruit. So it's three fruits. Um, that are put together in this formula, and, and they help to support the digestive system. But each one of those fruits also has other impacts and, and balance each of the doshas um, as well. So I've, I have found trifola to be a wonderful remedy for people with digestive complaints. And uh, when I was at the Chopra Center, there was actually some we did some studies, and uh, it wasn't looking just at trifola, so it was a whole um, uh, complement of things that we were doing. But I, I believe there was a study that was done that showed that taking trifola can really shift the gut microbiome as mm-hmm. well. And now we're understanding how just how important the gut microbiome is. But in practice, I I have found it to be a kind of a magic digestive tonic. It's helpful for people who are constipated, but it can also be helpful for people on the looser side to to firm things up. So it's not merely um, a, a laxative and, and is not habit forming and it's gentle. Yeah, it's very gentle and yeah, not habit forming. It's one of the few things um, that I tell people they could probably take, you know, every day for the rest of their lives without much, you know, without an ongoing basis of harm. Yeah, yeah. Most things I tell people, you know, at least take a break. Well, <laughs> but you- triple is very gentle. Well, let's shift gears and talk about really the theme of the book, uh, which is really about environmental toxins and how to uh, identify them first and how to protect yourself and your family from exposure. Uh, and, you know, it's a practical guide that's very comprehensive uh, that I think explains it in a, in a way that's, that's understandable. There's a lot of external threats out there. And that really, I think, ties into Ayurveda because Ayurveda is also big on the concept of detoxification. So, uh, let, you know, give us a kind of a, uh, an introductory tour to some of the things that are out there. You know, a lot of these things have been in the news. There was this movie, you might have seen it, Dark Waters with Mark uh, Ruffalo about um, the horrible legacy of, of flame retardants uh, that got into the environment and uh, you know, a big lawsuit uh, against a chemical manufacturer. Uh, and then, you know, there's glyphosate, there's BPA. You know, we're talking here in New York about banning uh, paper receipts because they're coated with BPA and you handle them and it gets into your body. Uh, there's been talk about phthalates lately, uh, chlorpyrifosis in the crosshairs. So um, tell us what's out there. Yeah, yeah. So that's part of the reason why I wrote this book is because there are so many things and it seemed like people were getting overwhelmed and getting, you know, really scared of our environment. Um, but as as humans, we have had to deal with toxins, you know, ever since, 
humans first came into the world. Um, toxins from, you know, burning coal, burning fires. Toxins that are made from uh, natural substances because things like lead and mercury and arsenic have always been in our environment. Um, and toxins as well from things like bacteria that break down in our own body and even our own body processes. We produce toxins, but now, you know, as the chemicals that you've mentioned, since World War II, there have been more than 80,000 new synthetic chemicals put out to the environment. Um, that, to now we're to the point where we are just overburdened. So whereas, so in Ayurveda, there are specific types of people that are more prone to not be able to handle toxins well. Things tend to back up, and so it was prescribed that people need cleansing. And actually in Ayurveda, they prescribe regular seasonal cleansing for everyone because mm -hmm. these things do build up. But now we're just... I look at it like a tidal wave coming at us, and especially for the canaries in the coal mine, those t those people who are not able to handle toxins well, and, and now we can see on, on genomic analysis that there are these SNPs or single nucleotide mm -hmm. polymorphisms, yep. people who have genetic variations where... They just don't handle detoxification they're, they're, well. They're weak detoxifiers. They don't have good uh, glutathione uh, uh, pathways. They don't have good methylation pathways. We can spot their their Achilles heels now uh, with some of the newer analyses that we're doing. And, and you know, it's exciting that you know you're out there on the West Coast. I'm out on the East Coast. But uh, you know, as we develop our practices, we're more uh, those of us who are. Uh, coping with these challenging patients or, or looking towards genetics to help us inform uh, yeah. our decisions. Yeah, but we're all exposed to these things. So the book really looks at, I, I tried to do it from the inside out, um, what is affecting us the most. And uh, so the, a large part of my book focuses on food because that is one of our hugest interactions with the environment, the food that we take in, not only the nutrients, but what's on the food, how we prepare the food, what are we preparing the food on. So you mentioned, you know, black waters, which is about Teflon, uh, you know, plastics, are we microwaving plastics, are we, you know, is there BPA in the food? So all these things that can get into the food, um, can definitely impact us, can build, build up the organophosphate pesticides as well. Um, and some of these, so I also not only wanted to make people aware of what toxins they're up against, but what we can do about it. So some of these things pass easily if we reduce our exposure. For example, uh, some studies have been done showing that switching to an organic diet you very quickly reduce the levels of pesticides. There have been uh, multiple studies done like that, and studies in children, um, I remember showing it within five days, their levels were down. Mm -hmm. But others... There, by the way, there's, in, there's been so much body. pushback from uh, conventional uh, agriculture and big food about organics. You know, there's, there's articles that say, well, you know, you're just it's a hype, you're wasting your money, uh, there's no real benefits. Uh, and yet I thinking uh, you probably would agree with me that one of the most important things you can do to safeguard your health and the health of your loved ones is to uh, selectively purchase organic products. I mean, there's some where, you know, which are the dirty dozen 
you know, the environmental working group tells you which ones to really worry about. And then there's the, the clean, whatever, 13, uh, the ones where eh, it doesn't, you know, if you know, you're paying a big price point for scant advantage because the foods, it doesn't make that much difference because of the, the uptake of toxins by certain fruits and vegetables are less. Definitely. Yeah. And I encourage people, you know, everybody needs to look at their budget. And so I encourage people to, to focus on those dirty dozen foods and making sure that they're organic. But, you know, more than that, and, and that's also kind of how I structured the book is we have to look at the system as a whole. And it's not just what toxins are on the food that we're ingesting. But what is, what are the repercussions of farming in that conventional way that uses toxins and herbicides and pesticides and tills the earth? And now we're seeing that that is really playing a role in climate change as well. And that if we shift to a more regenerative agriculture that uses organic methods that helps not only heal our bodies, but heals the body of the earth, that actually could be a, a carbon sink and drawing that carbon down. Mm-hmm. So not only are, are we improving our health, but we're improving the health of the earth, which improves the health of the, the nutrients that end up in our food. So when we have soil that's depleted of nutrients, then our food is depleted of nutrients. And then it's also affecting our water. All these pesticides and herbicides go into our waterways, and then we have uh, you know, contaminated water, which is another major source of, of uh, toxicity for people. Um, and then it goes into our our atmosphere, too, our air. And so, really, it's a holistic method of looking at not only how to heal ourselves, but how to heal the planet that needs to support us. Mm-hmm. I mean, and there's there's controversy about, you know, climate change and global warming and how to address it. But I think, you know, one thing that I think we can all get behind uh, is the notion that we want to have uh, safe food and water, uh, healthy soils uh, and, uh, you know, healthy air. And, I, you know, even before climate change became, you know, the clarion call of the environmental movement, uh, you know, we were worried about uh, environmental pollution. You know, I grew up in, in Los Angeles in the 1950s and, you know, there were smog alert days and we knew that that was bad for us. And, you know, so, uh, this proliferation of chemicals, uh, that's been unchecked since the end of the second world war, uh, that's something that we really got to take a very serious look at, uh, you know, wherever we stand on the controversy of, uh, global warming, climate change. Yeah. Yeah. And the, you, the thing about the U.S. is we tend to get things out and then see what happens. Um, instead of what other countries use as the precautionary principle is, you know, they check and make sure that it's safe and then they use it. We are kind of a little bit backwards in that way, mm-hmm. um, which is why, you know, things are still in use today that ought not to be. For example, you know, asbestos. The EPA, you know, instead of banning it recently, they decided to just restrict it. Now, I don't know. Can anyone say that asbestos has health benefits anywhere? <laughs> pretty, I think pretty uncontroversial. <laughs> yeah, right. I know. I think most people agree that asbestos is not good for our health, and yet, you know, they're saying, you know, go ahead and use it, but in a restricted way. So, it's really. Uh, I, I was really surprised when I was researching this book. Um, 
I really, I guess I was naive, (laughs) but I really thought that there were things in place to protect us. Uh, And what I found out was totally the opposite, that we really have to be aware um, to protect ourselves. Indeed. It really has to be a consumer-driven movement because, you know, uh, so much in America, you know, we say, well, trust the FDA, trust the EPA, you know, they're looking out for us. Um, well, you know, to a certain extent, yeah, maybe they're going to, uh, spot the most egregious hazards, maybe, uh, but they're getting it wrong about a lot of things, you know, including toxic medications that ultimately have to be, uh, taken off the market. So there you go. All right. Oh, we're going to pause because, uh, I want to hone in on some of these specific, uh, toxic challenges. The book is Resilient Health, How to Thrive in Our Toxic World. Our guest Dr. Valencia Porter. I'm Dr. Ronald Hoffman. We'll be right back with more of today's Intelligent Medicine podcast. 